These are the daily lectionary comments for June 29th. We're going to be looking at Joshua uh, chapter 4, uh, the uh, memorial that is established after they crossed over uh, the Jordan River. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 9, uh, beginning at verse 23, what happened after um, Saul of Tarsus was converted to become a Christian. Joshua chapter 4 is an entire chapter about the establishment of a memorial, a pile of 12 stones. It's not a particularly difficult chapter to understand, although we seem to be spending a lot of time dealing with this one issue, withdrawing 12 stones from the bed of the Jordan River and creating a pile, a memorial. Now, I'm really not going to talk about the details of this chapter because it's pretty self-explanatory, and I pretty much told you this is what it's about. What I do want to talk about is the, the significance, the importance of what, what we would call a memorial, something established by God to maintain a memorial of important things that God has done. This is not just a pile of stones, it is a memorial. Now, let me explain this important point, that a memorial is not simply to help us to remember the facts of history. A memorial, was, the thing with the facts of history is, we may all agree what most of the facts of history are. The problem with the facts of history is they don't explain themselves. And so we might agree on what the facts of history are and then argue about their significance from now until the end. For example, the Israelites were in Egypt. They were slaves there. And now uh, they live in Canaan. How did that happen that did happen? The facts of history. What does it mean? Why did this happen? What is its significance that we used to be slaves in Egypt and now we live in the land of Canaan? 2,000 years ago, a man went about teaching and preaching and got crosswise with the powers that be. He was crucified and then people said he rose from the dead. That happened. He was crucified. He rose from the dead. What does it mean? What is the significance of this? A memorial is not simply to tell us and to remind us that things happened and don't forget that things happened. A memorial is to explain why. History does not explain itself. If you want clarity and if you want understanding about the meaning of a historical event, then we must get that from the Word of God. A memorial is an opportunity to bring the Word of God to bear to a situation where God has spoken so that we may not only remember that a thing happened, but remember its significance. The significance of Israel going from Egypt to the promised land is explained in a series of memorials. For example, one memorial was the celebration of the Passover. That was to be done year after year after year. It was a memorial and it was an opportunity to explain. So in, uh, Exodus chapter 12, after explaining this 
ceremony, uh, the Passover celebration. Verse 26 of Exodus chapter 12 says, And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. All right here in our passage in Joshua chapter chapter four, we have a similar thing. They're to pile these rocks uh, on the west side of the Jordan River, and it says in verse six, "When your children ask you in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord." When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Look a little bit further in uh, verse 21, and it says again, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, quote, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. So you can see as we have the... the, the um, you know, the scarlet thread uh, sort of reached back to Exodus. Uh, and so now here we have another sort of reaching back into Exodus, another moment, another memorial to explain a passing over and a crossing of the Red Sea. Now, um, most of the memorials in Scripture are ceremonial. We have them in the New Testament, too. Uh, the New Testament gives us an opportunity to explain the significance of factual things that happen. The Son of God came into the world, he taught, he died, he rose, he ascended back into heaven. What does this mean? The ceremonies of the church, either uh, the celebration of Christmas or the celebration of a Holy Week and Good Friday and Easter Sunday and Ascension Day, all of this not only remind us of the facts of, of these things, but also tell us the significance that Jesus came into this world to bear our sin and to be our Savior. We have entered into a covenant with him, and now we live with him while he rules over all things. That's the significance of what happened with Jesus. Now, the most important and, and most significant uh, uh, memorial that we can think about now is, is the Lord's Supper itself, that Jesus says about his body and blood and his command that we eat and drink it, he says, do this in remembrance of me. Doing this in remembrance of me, he does not just mean, do this remembering that I died for you and rose again. Yes, that's true. Those things did happen. But the point of the Lord's Supper being done in remembrance of Jesus is in remembrance of the significance of the fact that he died for you and rose again. That is, he is our Lord and our Savior. He has borne our sins. He will come again. And we now live as his people, um, feeding on his own life. From his life, we have life and forgiveness and salvation. So memorials do not just remind us of the facts of history. They bring the word of God to bear so that we can actually understand why things happened, have clarity and understanding. That's what these stones are about. That's what the Passover service is about. That's what the celebration of Easter is. That is one of the things that the Lord's Supper does for us. All right, I spent a lot of time on Joshua chapter 4 memorial, so I need to move quickly here in uh, Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 23. What we're getting at here is the fallout from 
from uh, Saul's conversion. Saul had been infamous for persecuting the church, and now suddenly this man who had been persecuting the church throughout Judea and even all the way to Damascus is now suddenly becoming a champion of the Christians. And this does not go down well with anyone. And so we have some pretty serious uh, problems developing. Right away, it says in verse 23, um, the Jews in Damascus plotted to kill uh, uh, Saul. So he's out there preaching in Damascus and and they're realizing this guy's got to go. And so the Christians in Damascus realize we've got to get Saul out of here. And there's this famous scene of Saul being lowered in a basket from the side of the wall, the uh, the, uh, wall of Damascus and him escaping that way. So verse 26 says he, he goes to Jerusalem, Saul does, and he attempts to join the disciples there in Jerusalem. This is the sort of the home base of the church. But the disciples in Jerusalem are afraid of him. They don't believe that he's really become a disciple. And now we meet um, uh, uh, up with uh, Barnabas's role in this. Barnabas was not one of the 12, but he was an extremely important individual in the early church. And he acts as a go-between essentially to present Saul to Peter, James, and John and to present him as a bona fide Christian. And so acting as a mediator here, Saul is taken in by the uh, apostles. We'll learn more about that uh, later on, not only in Acts, but also in, in Galatians. Then Saul begins preaching in Jerusalem, and all seem to be going fine, except that the Hellenistic Jews, sort of the Greek-speaking Jews there in Jerusalem, they decide that they're going to kill uh, Saul. And so Saul has basically become too hot to handle. And the Christians in Jerusalem realized Saul cannot stay here. He was way too famous among the Jews, way too important. Now he has become way too visible in his championing of Christ. We can't protect him. So they send Saul back to his hometown to Tarsus which is uh, in modern-day Turkey. And we are going to hear next to nothing about Saul now for a while. The narrative is going to return to Peter and his ministry. We're going to hear a couple of mentions about Saul, uh, just really just in passing in chapter 11 and chapter 12. But really, the narrative is going to return to Peter, and we're not going to get back to Paul in any kind of serious way until chapter 13. Once we get there, now the narrative is all going to be about uh, Saul's ministry to the Gentiles.